One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that uses songs to extract biography from our guests. We tap into the power music has to connect us to times and places and people and emotions from our lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Miles Mancini. Miles was born in Port Jefferson, New York, and started playing piano at the age of five. He grew up amid musical excellence as his father, George Mancini, worked with the likes of jazz greats like Herbie Hancock and Henry Mancini and many others. Others. As a child, Miles played piano in front of audiences in Frankfurt, Germany and Paris, France. As a teenager living in the Dominican Republic, he started playing solo piano as well as collaboratively throughout the city of Puerto Plata. In college, Miles started dedicating his passion to worship music, presiding over the Newman Club at Florida Gulf Coast University. He directed Godspell, the first musical performed on the FGCU campus, and continued his work in musical ministry thereafter. He has worked at a variety of church venues, including his current position as praise and worship leader at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Port Charlotte, where he's been for the past 15 years. Miles was part of the inaugural class at FGCU and graduated in 2001 with a degree in communication and history. He went on to pursue his master's in media ecology from New York University. He joined the communication faculty at FGCU back in 2004, and then in 2016 helped develop the new integrated studies program with Dr. Maria Rocca. When not teaching, Miles says he enjoys spending time with his wife Melissa and their three incredible children, and that he also loves performing with his FGCU colleagues and friends in the Immokalee Road Band at local venues throughout the Southwest Florida region. I met Miles while a student at FGCU back in the late 90s, and he's been on our list probably longer than anyone at this point. So the wait is finally over. Hey there, Miles. How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. The curse of Miles Mancini yes. is ending as we speak <laughs> That's today. Right. That's right. Um, we've had you on our list forever, and we've had all kinds of efforts that have failed for one reason or another, <laughs> including two or three times leading up to this. So it's good to have you in here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Are you named after any famous Miles in particular? <laughs> I am. I am named after Miles Davis, and uh, Miles Davis is a uh, pretty important musician for my family in general. Um, Actually, I should say my name was not supposed to be Miles. My name was supposed to be my middle name, but thankfully my older sister was um, came in at the final hour and convinced my dad not to name me what my middle name is. Which is? <laughs> Which is Nunzio. Wow. <laughs> so I'm actually su- suppo- was supposed to be named Nunzio Mancini. Uh, and so my sister somehow convinced my dad. At least this is how the story goes, and I know my sister takes credit for this. So um, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but it's one of those things that my older sister told me is true, so it must be true. Uh, and so she said, yeah, your dad wanted you named Nunzio, and we lobbied hard for Miles because Miles Davis was such an influential uh, musician to, for my dad and, and, uh, and, and the genre of music that he's played in. Uh, what were you listening to in the car on your way here? <laughs> on my way here, what was I listening to? Oh, I was listening to Howard Stern. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was listening to. <laughs> do you listen to music in the car on the radio? I I do. Well, I, I listen more to like Apple Music. Or, okay. Well, that's yeah, what I'm getting at. We're yeah. trying to figure out how many people still listen to FM radio. Yeah, I usually don't. I'm, I, I, I like to be able to – for me, when I'm listening to music, more often than not, it's preparation for what I'm doing. So a lot of times uh, on Thursdays, in fact, I'll be commuting up to Charlotte County and I'll um, I'll be listening to music that I'll that I'll be using in my work. So so a lot of times I'm doing a lot of listening on Thursdays on my long drives to um, to particular music. But on the way here it was a short drive, so I was going. I'll just listen to a little interview and and get that through. What do you mean for your work? So one of my jobs uh, is I've been at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, and I've been the uh, music coordinator there, the praise and worship leader there for almost 20 years. I guess I started back in 2005. And I'm doing the math. Yeah. So that's close to 20 years. And uh, so, yeah. So when we do new praise songs and trying to keep current with the new praise music, which, you know, it's always changing. So I'm listening to a lot of that stuff to figure out, okay, is this a song that will work for us? Can we integrate it into the service? Is it something that's working? So, yeah. Describe the musical background of your childhood because I know it was very musical. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, yes, my dad would be, I guess, labeled 
and I think he self-labels himself this as well. He would be labeled a jazz musician. Uh, and my siblings, so I have three older siblings, uh, two older brothers and an older sister. My sister's the oldest. And she is also a musician. My oldest brother is also a musician. Uh, and they're significantly older than me. And I, I wanted to check with them before I said anything. So I have their permission. But uh, my sister is 61. My older brother is 60. And the brother that's closest in age to me who is not a musician is 57. So I got their ages. I right. was wondering how an older sister would be lobbying for miles if she was like four. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, she was. <laughs> all of them. And it's weird because, you know, they all grew up together and I grew up kind of by myself, you know, they were all, I mean, the brother that was closest to me in age, he, he went off to um, the Air Force shortly after he graduated high school. I think it was four or five years old at that point. So, so yeah, so they were all musicians. And my, my oldest brother and sister, they both, at least initially, went off to Berkeley School of Music. Uh, and they both have respective positions even to this day down here in Southwest Florida um, as musicians to this day. So our music, we all have sort of different memories. Obviously, I grew up in a very different time with my dad. But the music of my childhood was very much uh, jazz. You pretty much could listen to two types of music. Uh, there was three, I guess you could say, for me, maybe because my dad softened up uh, as he got older. <laughs> but you could listen to anything that was jazz. You could listen to anything that was classical. So we were all classically trained. And then eventually we learned how to play the blues and jazz and all that. And then when I came around, I was allowed to listen to James Brown. So that was like that was about the that was the furthest away from classical and jazz that that he let he let me go because I know even my siblings were like oh we could we couldn't listen to that so was piano your first instrument it was yes and piano what was. what age did uh, did you start that I believe I started when I was five hmm. yeah. and you played your bio says you played music in front of people as a very young child right yes flesh that out yeah so you know I think I had the benefit of being sort of an only child, you know, and traveling with my family a lot. So, uh, you know, my dad did a lot of work in Europe when I was really young. And so, you know, I would perform, you know, in front of some of the, the guests that they would have when we were living in Germany or, you know, so and I remember some of those little performances and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that kind of environment. And then we, then we moved to the Caribbean as well. And uh, Was that all following music gigs? He was pretty much following my dad's, you know, where his professional career would take him. So in the early 80s, it was doing a lot of consulting and working with various music companies like Honer, um, Sam Eck, uh, Roland, a number of different companies like that. And then in the early 90s, he wanted to take a, a break from all of that and just focus on performing and moved us down to the Dominican Republic. And that's where um, I started performing, at least for the first time professionally on my own when I was probably 12, 13, something like that. What's the earliest musical memory you can recall? Earliest musical memory I can recall? That's a really good question. <laughs> Let me think about that for a, for a moment. Hmm. I would say I remember, I remember our house on Long Island, and I remember hearing my dad practicing my dad would be practicing for hours and hours and hours. And usually it would be something classical. Uh, and I, I remember there were times, and this, this happened on Long Island especially, but also in the Dominican, where I would learn how to follow music based on him stopping in the music because it just sounded like, to me, especially classical when I was, I don't know, six, seven years old, just sounded like one big thing. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. And I remember in the studio I would hear him and I, if I was supposed to be studying or doing something, homework or whatever, and I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing, playing, whatever, getting into trouble, and I would listen for those moments where he would stop and I would learn the kind of flow of the song. So, all right, the song is actually over. Oh, no, that's the end of the first movement. Okay, I'm safe. He's going into the next movement. Okay, that's the adagio section. Okay, <laughs> you know, like learning all of those different things just from knowing when he would stop. So I would say that's probably my... My earliest memory is just remembering listening to him even from the steps on our house in Long Island and coming down the steps so I could get closer because the studio was was sort of he, – he turned our garage into any – we never had a garage very long in any home and it would be turned into a professional music studio. And, uh, and so I would listen from the steps and then when he would stop, I would, you know – go back to what I was doing, you know, that sort of thing. 
How many instruments do you play today? Uh, I would say only well piano, <laughs> but I do dabble in other instruments. Uh, the instrument that I've been most fascinated by recently uh, is the accordion. Uh, and uh, I'm not very good at the accordion, but I try to play it. I've played it in church a few times. I've played it on some gigs a few times. Uh, that was actually the instrument that my dad started on. Uh, and I never knew that. I, I always grew up with my dad playing piano. Uh, so I never knew he played accordion uh, until much later. I, I can't even remember when I discovered that. Uh, maybe I was in a teenager or something like that. So uh, piano, uh, primarily accordion. I've dabbled with guitar. I think when I was here at FGCU as a student, I wanted to be a guitar player and I wasn't very good, <laughs> but I tried. Um, and vocals. I mean, my, my strongest instruments today are both piano and, and singing vocals. As a person who plays piano, when you first pick up an accordion, you must have some leg up on people who can't play the piano. But then there's the whole other mechanics of it. Can you just talk a little bit of that fascinates me? Yeah, that fascinated me too. Uh, I, you know, I loved watching my dad play because, you know, he plays piano in a way that's very – there's a visceral reaction to watching my dad play piano because he – just becomes one with it. But watching him play the accordion, I was always like, wow, there's something so different about wrapping your arms around this instrument. Right? And so, yeah, like you said, the keyboard part, I was like, I could do that. And I remember the first time picking up, I'm like, okay, it's not making a sound. Why is it not making a sound? Oh, I got to pump air through it? Okay, that's weird. I actually did, uh, I should have brought up this as well. But I, I, when I was in middle school, high school, I played trombone. So that was that was an instrument that I played for a while as well, which my brother would be very upset that I f- forgot to mention because he's, he's a trombone player. He's a trombone player. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> and he gave me my first trombone. So thank you, George, for the first trombone. And I still love the trombone as an instrument. I always pick it out when I'm listening to different songs. Uh, but yeah, the accordion was definitely... Because it, you know, that the, working the bellows was always uh, was even to this day. It's very, very challenging for me, and I love that aspect of it because it feels like a a living instrument, right? It kind of emulates your breathing, you know, and uh, and that part of it. The buttons on the left hand, I actually picked that part up pretty pretty well. I don't know if that's because the way that my dad taught us all how to play piano was there was an emphasis on on doing running bass lines and really working our left hands. So the the buttons weren't too complicated for me to pick up, but the bellows, that was definitely a challenge. <laughs> um, can you remember the first music you owned? Oh, first music I owned that I actually like purchased? Yeah, either you purchased or you you know asked for it as a gift, something that you chose to have. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So hard to answer that question. It should be an easy question to answer because, you know, we had so much music in our house. Um, but the first thing that I really wanted to uh, to purchase my for myself were Beatles albums. Though I, that's, I, I remember discovering a Beatles album, um, but I always wanted to buy and have my own Beatles albums. And I remember the first Christmas uh, that my parents bought me the uh, – the anthology set, you know, and so it was the, they gave me, got me the VHS uh, anthology set and then, of course, the CDs that came along with that as well and, and wore those things out, you know. So at some point, you were allowed to listen to more than just jazz, classical, and yes. James Brown. How old was that? High school. High school. <laughs> high school. When you got Almost high school. <laughs> junior, senior year of high school, something like that. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Um, okay. It is time for your first song. Okay. Which is not any of those things. No. So uh, what is it? Why is it? <laughs> Yeah. So when I was growing up on Long Island, I remember going to this this house with uh, with my family for many years. And it was this big house. It was this mansion. And it was a recording studio. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I was little. And I remember musicians being in there. And so it, it ultimately it was called the uh, – now I think it's a bed and breakfast these days. But it was a recording studio that was owned originally by Foghat. And then my dad went in on it with another person or a company in the 80s and, um, and picked it up. And they, it's called, it was called Boogie Hotel, the Boogie Hotel. And the whole thinking there is that you know, musicians would come out to Port Jefferson and, and record their stuff because it was right, right in the port and, and beautiful location. And I remember as a kid going there and you know, seeing the studio. It had this massive recording studio that you, know, you could have live music you know, being recorded and, and all these musicians in there. I know there were some big bands that came through there. I remember 
sort of vaguely interacting, well, not interacting with, but I remember seeing the scary guy and apparently later I found out that that was D. Snyder. <laughs> you know? that, would, that would scare you as a kid. <laughs> He's a big guy. He's like a tall guy, this tall blonde guy. And I'm sure this was like 87, 88. So he's probably full on, you know, twisted sister gear on the whole deal. But I know my dad uh, did some work with them and, and recorded them. And they were always like checking out new music that, you know, new musicians, different musicians and different trends in music to, to try to get people to come out to Boogie Hotel and, and do some recording. So the first song that we're going to listen to um, was a C. CD that I discovered, uh, you know, and again, even when I discovered it, I don't even, I mean, CDs weren't even like a big thing. Like a lot of my friends didn't have CDs, but we had a CD player in the house and the whole deal. And so I remember finding the CD. It had an interesting cover and I put it on uh, and I loved, I loved the song. They never ended up recording at at uh, Boogie Hotel, but uh, the first song is is from Run DMC um, and Walk This Way, which I would later on discover that this was like, a really big deal. I didn't know that. I just I just remember dancing around, uh, you know, our house on Long Island and being excited about this particular song and and just thinking it was the coolest thing. And I never heard anything like it. It was, it was this rap thing, which I didn't really know what rap was. And it was like you know heavy metal guitars. I was like, what is this? You know. So what an interesting way to come across this song with no context, <laughs> no because context. it had so much context for the world. You yes. know, when it when it would released, if you were following the world of rap or you knew who Aerosmith was, it was like, right. huh? Yeah. But for you, you were just like, let's get it on. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even know. <laughs> I remember getting into an argument with my next door neighbor, one of my good friends, Angelo, and he loved Aerosmith. And I didn't know anything about it. Again, I was very sheltered when it came to music, only classical and jazz and James Brown. So you talked to me about Aerosmith. I'm like, I don't know. What is this Aerosmith? And I remember playing for him as a kid, 10 years old, something like that, when I played this album for him, played Walk This Way. And we got in this big argument of like, that's an Aerosmith song. I'm like, no, it's not. Run DMC did it. <laughs> like, this is, he's like, dude, this is, this is an Aerosmith song. Like my, my brother and my dad play it all the time. <laughs> like, it's just not this version. <laughs> well, let's listen to it. Uh, okay. Thinking about that. This is um, Miles Mancini's first song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories, Walk This Way by Run DMC with Aerosmith from the 1986 album Raising Hell. Where does this song fit into your life today? And by that, I sort of mean, did you go on to become a fan of rap or Aerosmith? Or we did those musical genres, you know, like what, where were you going at that stage in your life, like high school with music? Yeah, so I definitely learned that this was something I wanted to know more about in, in both genres. I think that's what's so cool about listening to that song even today well, first, so many things came up in my head. Just I forgot how long it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably there was probably a radio edit. That I'm sure, right? <laughs> but I remember just being a kid, bouncing around and loving that song, and that's probably why because it played so long. But yeah, I wanted to learn more about uh, hip hop and rap in particular at that time, and I knew I was like tangentially aware being in school, especially on Long Island, about you know groups like the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy, and that was that was pretty popular you know, middle school, for me, middle school, and then even into high school. Um, and I didn't know that much about classic rock. I didn't know that much about bands like Aerosmith. That was probably, I learned more about, you know, Public Enemy and Run DMC and, and all that way before I learned much of the classic rock stuff. You know, I was drawn to that, at least initially. And what I loved about that, that particular song, too, is that for me, it, it I was able to – some of the takeaways I had there, you know, how those pieces kind of come together and they can blend really well. You know, it's like listening to that drum beat, you know, just – and I could – you know, I had so many musical instruments around growing up, especially keyboards, all different keyboards because my dad working at all those companies would get samples of all of these different, you know, little synthesizers. And they all had drum beats like that, you know, boom, check, boom, boom, check. And I could do that and I could almost simulate that kind of stuff, you know. And so I, I would I would loved doing that, putting that together and finding, OK, I'll put that beat together and, and play this little riff on it, you know, and just how you can pull from so many – different areas. So it definitely launched me on that kind of trajectory of looking at different, you know, how to pull different things together. You know, it seemed so complex 
back when it first came out. Mm-hmm. But listening to it again through these headphones, it's actually fairly spare. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Compared yeah. maybe to some of the way music is produced today. For sure. Um, it's it's kind of rudimentary in yeah. a way. But it was because yeah. that hadn't been done before. That yeah. was what was so big about that yeah. song. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It just, I don't know, got me very excited about, you know, and I didn't realize the impact you know, the importance of that song at the time and, and how it all, you know, kind of brought genre. I recently together. watched like a best of the eighties or yeah. whatever thing. And there was a whole bit about this song and how, you know, Steven Tyler was like, huh? Like, you know, like, <laughs> right. uh, but then, you know, the impact that it had, cause it was the first thing, according to this thing I watched that, you know, brought that hip hop rap world into the mainstream. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I didn't realize the significance of that either. I just remember it just, Thinking, wow, this is this is cool. How this can be so catchy and impactful, and bring these worlds together, or bring different different. For me, all of it was new. So listening to it, you know, I wasn't looking at it as the, I didn't know anything about either genre. So hearing this blending just got me very excited about the possibilities that were out there. They were endless. Yes. <laughs> um, what was your vibe in high school? Like, you know, what were you, uh, what were you studying? What were you, were you in any bands at that point? Yeah. High school was weird for me. Uh, it's weird for everybody. Right. Um, but <laughs> if it's not weird, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but I had the weird thing of, I was always the outsider. Um, you know, we started, we started living in the Dominican Republic we started going down there in the late 80s and we would go down there and spend a summer, you know, that kind of thing. And then my dad just got in his head, well, we live 10 months out of the year there and we'll just – we'll reverse it and we'll do summer in New York and we'll do most of the year in the Dominican. And he had to work things out with different schools and you know, I was doing correspondence courses for a while and then he had to deal with the local So school. your high school really was weird. Oh, yeah. yeah you're oh, different yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure because I would – I would take my studies and do most of it in the – so freshman year, sophomore year, wasn't until the middle or of my junior year of high school that I came back to the States full time. And, and you know, people kind of knew me because they would see me every now and then. But I was still like, oh, you're that guy. You're always like away, <laughs> you know? Were you the cool kid because you lived in the Dominican Republic? No. no it didn't no, work that way? <laughs> it did not. It did not work that way. And, and being there was interesting because, you know – Again, it brought in a whole different frame of reference for music and it's not like it is today where you could just, you know, get on your computer or your phone or anything like that and listen to whatever you wanted. Like I was cut off, you know, when we went down to the DR, even in the ni- early 90s, it was like you you had what you brought with you, you know, and that was that was it, you know. So whatever music you could bring with you or anything like that, you weren't purchasing albums or listening to things there. And the radio played pretty much one style of music, you know, and so that and that was that, you know. Hmm. What was the first band besides the Beatles that really got your attention? First band that really got my attention. Um, so – as soon as we got back from the Dominican or as soon as I got back from the Dominican because I came – my parents stayed for a little longer and I came back and I lived with my sister. Uh, I remember – so that was mid-90s, late 90s. I was really excited about sort of the trends I was hearing in in, uh, in music. So uh, – and, and these bands that I hadn't listened to and I, I want to say – you know, a few bands. There were a few bands that that came to mind. So definitely was listening to Goo Goo Dolls back then. Um, I was listening to – what else was I listening to? Um, I was listening to Blues Traveler for sure. Uh, I was listening to I – I had lots of friends that were into um, like Pearl Jam. I never really got into Pearl Jam as much, but I appreciated some of the some What of about like tunes. Nirvana and the whole – I was a little bit past – I was still in the Dominican. So I – that whole grunge thing. I kind of missed it. I kind of missed it. Yeah. Um, and, and even to this day, I, I like Nirvana a lot. But I, I even looking back at that era of music, I listened to a lot of like the Chris Cornell, like the Soundgarden stuff. And I love that as well. Um, yeah. So when I came back, it was like I was flooded with just, you know, listening to music and seeing MTV for the – really the first time. You know, I'd seen it sort of a little bit in the 80s. But it was really the mid-90s that it was like, whoa. There's MTV. You know? Well, how did you wind up at FGCU? Or how did you wind? Did you were you living here? Did you come here? Did you like come here to be, and be a student from somewhere else? Yeah. So, like I said, I bounced around. Uh, came back my junior year of high school uh, to New York. I was there with my sister, 
and my parents were trying to settle up things in the Dominican. And so they they sold their stuff down in the DR, came back to New York. My dad was like, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't want to live here. I'm done here. with the cold. <laughs> I'm done with the cold. You know, typical <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, we have been living on, a, on an island for how, you know, and not Long Island. We have been living in a tropical island for, you know, so many years that he was just fed up with it. So he said, you know, I'm going to stay in the States but we're going to find as far south as we can go. So it was either Charlotte County or Brownsville, Texas. You know, those were the two places he found on the map. And and we were very close to moving to Texas because he wanted us to be in Texas. But then final hour, his one of his old friends, a drummer of his, a good friend of his, moved to Charlotte County. And uh, and so he moved us down. My senior year of high school, I ended up going to Port Charlotte High School. So it was I was in that high school for one whopping year. Made some good friends there, so I can't complain. But again, I was like the new guy, the outsider. Like, who are you? Oh, I'm that. I'm the guy from New York that just moved here, <laughs> senior year. And then FGCU opened right around the time you graduated, so yeah. you got to come here, and you weren't the new kid because everyone was. <laughs> Everybody was the new kid. <laughs> I think that's kind of what made me excited about you know this place here, you know about FGCU because. I felt like it was uh, an even playing field for the first time that I was starting someplace new. It was starting new. Everybody was starting yeah, new. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> you know, like yeah. nobody had any history. Yeah, for sure. For so sure. Uh, was it a no-brainer for you to go to FGCU? You know, that senior year was really hard because I was still contemplating what I wanted to do. Uh, I thought – I mean – I really thought in my junior year that I was going to end up at like Stony Brook, which was the university right near my home in Long Island, you know, a couple streets down basically. Uh, and when that didn't happen because we moved down to Florida, I was like, ah, do you really want to go back up to New York? Let's start this new chapter here. And I was looking at Florida schools. At first I was like, well, do I want to do music? My siblings did music in, in school. Uh, you know, my dad was definitely supportive of whatever I wanted to do. FGCU – was new but didn't have anything music related at that point. I mean, nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like we were about as bare bones as it got back then. So um, it wasn't a super easy decision because I was still contemplating whether I wanted to do music or not. And I looked at other certain other schools, um, FIU, for example, at that time. I think I was looking at. Uh, I was interested in new school for a little while, um, just because I kind of liked the different approach that they new were college. Doing. No, it's a new college. Yeah, um, new college. And uh, yeah, so but then FGCU just kind of won me over with it being so new and that I could, you know, sort of go someplace and and maybe have some some type of impact in some way. So And here you are here all am. these years yeah, later that's right. impacting Still things. <laughs> um, so it was the early days of FGCU. Um, you were a communication major? So or no. what, was that even a thing? I mean, so right, it really wasn't right um, back in those days. I'm trying to remember because I started here two years later, and <laughs> right. I don't even remember what it was I was pursuing. Yeah, well, the early days it was like everything. Well, well, I mean, I think it's so funny too because t these days, you know, uh, I'm I'm teaching in integrated studies, and back then, you know, there was such an emphasis on the IDS courses, you know, and I didn't know what those oh, things were. God, right? I hadn't thought about them in a long time. <laughs> so, I mean, I think about them every day because I'm teaching them now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back then, I didn't know what that was. What's IDS, you know? And uh, and that was also one of those things that, you know, I think you either at that time really bought into that or- and IDS like, stands for what? Uh, well, interdisciplinary studies. Okay. That's what then, I yeah. want to make sure that I was clear yeah, on that. Okay. Yeah. So you either, you know, you and, and we had a lot of those issues courses, right? I don't know if you remember all of those, but we had, you know, issues in politics and economics and, uh, you know, issues in uh, culture and society. Again, where I met Maria Rocca for the first time in, in some of those classes, not not really the communication classes. And so I really bought into that sort of interdisciplinary, integrated uh, way of thinking. And I loved those classes. Most of them were excellent. I mean, that's where I was able to meet some of the, the best professors that I had. I ended up ultimately in the beginning when I declare, had to declare my major, I was a history major. And I stayed a history major. So I was a double major. Um, and I love the history department. I think we still have an awesome history department here. I know there's a lot of faculty that were that are still here from the beginning. Um, and so history was was sort of my first passion in academia, I guess. And then uh, and then I waltzed into a communication class with Maria Rocca and uh, 
and I didn't want to leave communication either. So I was really excited to join that program too. Did you take the seven deadly sins class? I took that class like three times. (laughs) (laughs) And not because I had to take it three times. I think I TA'd for Maria once and then I took two different versions of it. Um, but yeah, the seven deadly. That was my first class at FGCU. Yeah. Oh, I came over the summer, and there was a summer session of that, if I remember correctly. Yep. And yep. I, uh, and that was my first introduction. You wow. know, because I, I graduated college in ninety, and so that was ninety nine. So I had given up on college, okay. and I walked back in and sat down, and it's Maria teaching that with Father Rick, and yep. I'm just like, yeah. okay, I think I could do college now. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, <laughs> Father Rick, that's. He was such an important person in my life because you know both he and Maria were sort of like. You know, even though I have the most amazing mom and dad, but they became sort of my FGCU parents uh, and and took me in very quickly. Uh, and 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 Father Rick was such an important person. He was the first person who brought me back to to music ministry, which you know I had grown up Catholic, sort of, because my dad wasn't really emphasizing that with all the traveling that we were doing. And uh, you know, he asked me and Maria asked me to to play for the Catholic Mass on campus, and I was like, oh, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't. I don't why do you want me to do that? Well, you play piano. Oh, okay. And and uh, and I remember going huh. to Newman Club for the first time and loving it and loving the mass on Sunday nights. And uh, shortly after that, I became the president of Newman Club and I was going to places like Notre Dame with Father Rick and, and going to conferences about, you know, Catholic campus min- ministry and, and all that kind of stuff. And and that has stuck with me even to this day. I mean, I'm not at a, at a, a Catholic church anymore. I'm at a Lutheran church up in, in Charlotte County. But a lot of those lessons I learned from Father Rick still apply to the work I'm doing today. So Maria and Father Rick had a huge, huge impact on me at, at FGCU. Um, you meet your wife at FGCU. I did. I did. Um, do you and her have aligned musical tastes? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we don't. We don't. And actually, one of our first arguments was about music. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, this is going to be embarrassing. So... We had a, you know, there's a microphone in front of you, right? I know. I should probably not say <laughs> no, this. No, keep right. going. Uh, so one of our fr- – we were taking a road trip. We were dating at this point and it was like our first holiday together. It was like Christmas time, something like that. And we were driving up to Massachusetts from New Jersey. She's from New Jersey. So I met her family for the, for the first time, like her New Jersey family. We had met down here at FGCU and, and her parents down here and all that. But I met the extended family in New Jersey. And so we decided we're going to take a road trip to visit my brother. And, of course, the debate about listening to music and all that kind of stuff. And I, I can have a bit of a, a temper and attitude sometimes and, and be a little bit, you know, uh, <laughs> a little a little snobbish when it comes to music. And we started having this debate about rock stars. And, and I was saying how so many of them changed their names, you know. And I said, you know, Steven Tyler, because, of course, after – Listening, learning more about Aerosmith. I'm like, he's actually an Italian guy. His name was Steven Tellerico. You know, <laughs> it's like he just had to change his name because that's not cool in rock and roll. And I said, Bon Jovi. Well, Bon Jovi is a sore spot because my wife loves Bon Jovi, as I think anyone does in New Jersey. Yeah, I was I just going to say, you, yeah. think you have to. And I love him too. Like, we actually share that now. Um, but I didn't know that much. All I knew was that I'm like, I think he's one of those guys that changed his name too. Uh, and, and to this day, we can't even bring up that argument with each other because she's she's like, he didn't change his name. His name is Bon Jovi. I'm like, it's not spelled that way. I mean, the, we have the, just this different perception of how we look What's at What's the truth? Because we've got like Wikipedia now. <laughs> well, it's we were both right because oh, okay. it's spelled with a G <laughs> and it's it's one word. So he is Italian. His family's Italian. Oh, it's one word. It's, it's so he word. split. Oh. Right. So it's B-O-N-G I-O-V-I, but it was split, he split it up in, in B-O-N-J-O-V-I. So <laughs> it's like, so we were both right. I tried to tell her we were both right. So yeah, but she, her music, musical taste, she's very much into country music. If it's not Bon Jovi, it's country music. And I typically don't listen to a ton of country music. Okay. Well, um, it's time for your second song. Okay. It's right. a Beatles song. Yes. What is it? So this is the song Something, uh, written by George Harrison, um, which this song, you know, this was one of those songs that I discovered a tape cassette in uh, in my, my dad's studio. And similar to how I discovered sort of the Run DMC, you know, CD, just stumbled upon it as a kid, stumbled upon this tape cassette. And I had a Walkman. I was so excited to have my Walkman. I had that thing for the longest time, a Sony Walkman. Play tape cassettes all the time, 
and I found Abbey Road. I didn't know what it was. I just saw the picture. It looked cool. <laughs> you know, these guys crossing the street and I put it in the Walkman and I just didn't stop listening to that song and that and that whole album. But that song in particular struck a chord with me. Um, and it struck, still strikes a chord with me. And it's kind of weird because it's not I know this I know what the song is about now, but back then I wasn't listening as carefully or as closely. And uh, when we moved when I moved back to the States uh, in 95, 96, I was very I was very always very close to my grandma. This is my dad's mom. And she at that point um, had become sick and she was in the hospital. And um, and so we, my sister and I, because I was living with my sister, we saw her in the hospital a few times. And unfortunately, she didn't make it out of the hospital. She passed away while my parents were overseas. And they came back to the States and we had a funeral. They lived in upstate uh, or my grandma and my aunt lived up upstate New York, actually where a friend of mine, Dean Davis, is from, uh, Liberty, New York. Past Three Song Stories guest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, and so we, we had to take a drive up there from Long Island. And I always remember the drives to see grandma were always so long because Liberty, New York from Long Island can take four hours, you know, if the traffic's bad. Uh, and this drive in particular felt so long because – we were going to to bury my grandma, and she was somebody that was like a best friend to me. And um, and so I listen to the song something, and it always makes me think about her. Um, and it was one I just this particular song. I remember rewinding it in the car multiple times, going back and back and back and back, just to listen to this particular song as we were going up to Liberty for the three-day, four-day, whatever it was, and then driving back, listening to it again over and over and over again. All right, well, let's listen to it through that lens. Um, This is Something by the Beatles from the 1969 album Abbey Road, written by George Harrison, as you said. I've got the 2009 master, the 2019 master, and the original studio demo. Tell us which. Uh, let's do the let's do the, the the latest one, the latest remaster. What's your grandma's name? Jenny. 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 Got any yeah. musical memories with Jenny you can share? Oh gosh. Um, no, I don't. I really, <laughs> I really, you know, I I wish there. I wish we did have musical memories. And the memories I have with with grandma were always. Um, us being together uh, and sort of left on our own devices and her always telling me, you know, Miles, it's like it's always the old and the young that just get forgotten about. (laughs) And so because when my dad would be on a tour or something like that in Europe or wherever or or Asia where, you know, and he would take my my siblings with him because they were musicians and all that, my grandma would come and watch me, you know. And so, you know, the memories I have – of my grandma are things like watching Wheel of Fortune, you know, and, uh, you know, and then uh, the, the, I guess the only musical memories that I have of were not really mine with her per se, but, you know, I remember at her funeral all of the traditional Italian music, you know, which is hard for me to even listen to, whether it's, you know, the typical kind of stuff that you hear done at funerals, Ave Maria's and that kind of thing. But all the traditional music that, you know, my dad also played on accordion, you know, and that was the stuff that she loved and, and loved hearing him play and, you know, so – So my dad is my musical memory of my grandma. (laughs) Understood. Um, Do you play that song with the Immokalee Road Band? (laughs) We have not played that one yet. Uh, I think I did – I want to say I did it one time for – we have our our little Facebook promotional page, the Immokalee Road Band promotional page there. And I think – and Mike and I used to do during the height of COVID, we did our little happy hour song Mm -hmm. hour. And uh, and I re- I think I remember playing something as like a little solo thing, but we've never done it together. Um, together, although I think I think Eric would be awesome doing the lead guitar. But there's something I love about George Harrison's guitar playing that um, that Eric captures in his guitar playing as well. There's a sentimentality to it that really rings through. Uh, that's that's just so powerful, you know. And uh, yeah, and I, and then you can hear that in any of the song. Here, here comes the sun is also the same same kind of thing. My sweet lord, there's a certain 
melancholy in it. And it's, I don't know, I think it's awesome. How long has the band been around? Oh, gosh. Mike would get this exactly right. <laughs> because Mike wanna... Kennedy, by the way, <laughs> yes, former Free Song Stories that's guest. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. I, you know, that's a good question. Our first gig was actually at Holy Trinity. And I know he talked about this. I'm pretty sure he talked about this when he was on. Uh, but I'm going to get the date wrong. I want to say we've been around for like six years, seven years, maybe longer. <laughs> uh, three people? Uh, well, we've kind of fluctuated in terms of, of the band. So the three of us are the, the only ones that are affiliated with FGCU. Uh, but we had one of Mike's good friends, Jim, uh, from up from Buffalo. He played drums for a while for us. And every now and then we do collaborations with him. Uh, and we also have a drummer that I work with um, at Holy Trinity. His name is Stephen Donaldson. He's a young guy that I've known since he was a very little kid. Um, but he's a fantastic drummer. And uh, and yeah, so it's it's Primarily, there's there's four of us uh, ultimately that are, that are playing at, at the gigs. And uh, where do you mo- mostly play, and what do you mostly play? So we have actually been playing pretty regularly now at Riptide Brewery in Benita. Uh, and uh, we've been playing there the last few months, and we were playing there before. You know, everything got strange when when we had to stop. You know, going out for a while. <laughs> you know, we were playing a little bit, and then we had that, that hiatus. So now we've been playing at Riptide for a while, uh, and yeah, the mix is. <laughs> Uh, is is all over the place. Uh, we like to do a little bit of everything for everyone, and uh, and actually, probably what my wife likes to say is our strongest stuff is actually the country music we do, because we do play a little Garth Brooks in there, and, and do a little Billy Joel, and do a little bit of the Beatles. We do you know sort of everything. We do more modern stuff. We've uh, and then of course the stuff that that I've liked to do. I I like to take music that you would not expect us to play and play it, you know? So one of the songs that we do pretty regularly is um, Britney Spears, Baby One More Time. And, and you're singing? And I'm singing on okay. that. Yes. <laughs> I don't go full on schoolgirl outfit and dance around <laughs> I'm well, well behind the piano. But yeah, yeah. Um, and I like taking songs like that. Uh, you know, we do a version of Paula Abdul's Straight Up. And, you know, I like taking songs that you wouldn't necessarily expect us to play and, uh, and yeah, and, and play them. <laughs> do you do any originals? We haven't. We haven't done any originals. Do you write songs? I have in the past. I haven't in some time, but I have in the past. In fact, I have a, a friend, not actually the, our drummer's name is Stephen Donaldson. I have a good friend and guitar player um, at the church. His name is Steve Donaldson. He's Steve Sr., uh, uh, Stephen's dad. And he's an amazing songwriter, uh, writes primarily Christian music. And when I first started at, at Holy Trinity, we collaborated on, on a bunch of original songs together that uh, we both co-wrote. So, Been to many concerts? No, I'm not a big concert person. Just why? Uh, you know. Not a, not a pejorative why. No, no, Just, no. Just, uh, you know, why? Yeah. I, it's, you know, music is, well, I always grew up around, you know, uh, going to gigs, you know, going to my dad's gigs, especially in the Dominican. I mean, I was his roadie, his sound guy. I was all of those things, you know. So we'd go, I'd go help set up at the, you know, the restaurant or the bar or wherever he was at, and I would do the sound check with him. I'd go get him his drink, his cocktail, all that kind of stuff. And so I have memories of that. And and it, when I'm at a gig, and especially gigging as much as I've done, there's. I don't know if there's – I don't get as much enjoyment from it, you know, because I get stressed for the musicians too. And I'm like I put myself there. I don't – it's a weird – it's a weird thing. I, I know what you mean because I've so often with various things been part of the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And so when I have to just go somewhere just as one of the people, yeah. it's different for me yes. somehow. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. It's – yeah. it's, a, it's a, and, and I guess from being behind the scenes, like you also wonder – you know, I had, a, I had a great opportunity. So my brother George, he played for – uh, over 20 years in the Air Force Band. Um, he's, he's my brother that plays the trombone. And he used to do arrangements for them and all that. And I would spend a good amount of time with him on various bases that he was stationed at and go to their gigs. And I'd always, you know, it, it was always interesting watching all the behind-the-scenes stuff, watching them practice, get ready, and then, of course, all the stuff that would happen at the gig and all that. So there's all of that, like, 
and I can't get that out of my head if I'm going to a concert. I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at you know if I go to a play, mm-hmm. I'm like wondering you know I'm, I'm it's like dude, pay attention yeah. to the play. Don't <laughs> right. wonder how they're doing those lighting cues yes. so effectively. Yes, can't get out of my own head. I can't get out of my own head with that. So sure. uh, so not a lot of concerts. Some concerts like do you have a, oh, yeah. a concert that it would be the one that you remember best? Yes, um, yeah, the one that always comes to mind. Westbury Music Fair, Long Island, uh, went to see Ray Charles, my one and only time that I saw Ray Charles perform Mm. live. And uh, that just blew me away because Ray Charles was also someone that kind of fit into that in between. I could listen to his stuff that was allowed in my dad's. Right. That was close enough to the 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 jazz and all that kind of stuff. But of course, he had so many fun songs. It hit the road, Jack, and all that kind of stuff. And so – I mean, I remember, you know, I think I was maybe nine years old when we went to see him in Westbury. And it was just it was just phenomenal. I remember sitting so close. I remember being pretty close to the stage and just seeing him play and just being awestruck that anytime I think of a concert, that's the one that that comes to mind. Do you go to see plays, musicals, things like that? Yeah, I do. Mostly because both my siblings. So my sister, Michelle, she does the um, uh, she does the music. She's the music director up at the Venice Theater. Mm. And so I've gone to a lot of shows up there. Sometimes they've done like cabaret shows, but also some of their plays and things like that I've gone to to see when she's doing the music for that. And then my brother does a lot of work at Broadway Palm. So we often go to Broadway Palm and, and see the shows there too. Am I remembering correctly that you directed Godspell at FGCU? <laughs> that yes. just popped into my head from your yeah. bio. What's, yes. What was that? I think that was technically the first show, the first theater production. You brought art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. I still remember that that show was such a mess, uh, but we did it. Uh, but yeah, and uh, yeah, that was the first uh, first play I brought, did here. I always had the experience with my sister, even in New York, she would take me along with her. A lot of her work was in theater and, and working with, uh, you know, uh, actors and singers and, and that kind of thing. So I would go with her to auditions where she would be judging people at auditions. So like I had the whole experience of the American Idol thing on the other side way, well before American Idol was a thing. And I'd hear all the backstage talk like – and. Um, that also frightened me of auditions. I'm like, I know how people talk when you leave the room. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh. So she brought me to a lot of shows. The first show I was ever involved with was musical production of Mary Poppins in New York, that she was the music director for, and and we did a number of shows like that. Everything from Mary Poppins. Have you been to, on stage? Uh, once upon a time, when I was really little, I, I was I, w- I did uh, Music Man. I think she was doing Music Man, and I was. Part of the barbershop quartet, I think, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it was terrible. I'm not a good on stage. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, before we get to your third song, real quick, yeah. um, how do you listen to music these days? Like um, you mentioned Apple Music yeah. in the car. Is that pretty much you stuck to your phone and then streaming it to Bluetooth? Yeah, I'm streaming it. Um, you know, sometimes if I like to see different versions of the uh, of the tune as well, um, you know, because there's so many. I mean, you know, there's different 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 versions, especially when we're looking at when I'm trying to get ideas. So a lot of times I'm on YouTube and I'm looking at per- live performances, you know, especially if they're older live performances. I love that. So that's another way that I probably the, the second most popular way for me to consume music. When was the last time you bought music that had physical form? Mm, it was probably when my wife and I were dating, probably bought her a CD. So a long time ago. Yeah, this was probably like, yeah, 99, 2000. 2000 is probably the last time. Right around the time Napster came out, if I remember (laughs) correctly. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to song number three. This is the uh, the TLC song. So what's what's going on? So TLC, uh, I think this is such a great song and great album for so many reasons. But this is one of those songs that was my first reintroduction to what I considered American music uh, when I was living in the Dominican. Uh, coming back to the States, came back, usually we'd come back right before the summer. And I remember the, my first experience I remember watching this was was discovering, like I said, MTV really for the first time, you know, when I was in high school. And not even because we didn't get that down in the Dominican. We just didn't have access to, to cable and that kind of thing, or at least not that 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 particular channel and uh and i remember seeing this music video that was so intriguing to me i was like wow there's so much happening here <laughs> you know it's telling a story and you it's know, artistic yeah, yeah. it was like i was really i still think it's a great music video and uh, that was my first introduction to the song itself uh and so yeah i just it just to me i was like wow there's some really cool cool music 
happening here in the States. That was how I learned about TLC. Well, all right. Well, let's listen to it. Um, and yeah, check out the music video out there in Radioland if you haven't. It's really great. Uh, this is Miles Mancini's third song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. It's Waterfalls by TLC from their 1994 album Crazy Sexy Cool. You know the words. <laughs> you play that with the that, IRB? That is a big one for us. That is, uh, And it's funny because you gave me an extra opportunity to practice. So we do this tune. And I do the the, the left eye uh, rap section, and it's the hardest part to do live, especially if the band picks up tempo or <laughs> it's like, okay, guys, I'm trying to get the words out. Um, but everybody reacts to that. Like you have, to, if you're going to do this song, you have to do it with that little rap portion in it, you know. So this is usually one of those songs that everybody gives a response to, and seems to work not just with like my demographic it works with like my kids know the song it's it's like resonates through generations so yeah that one's it, this is a big tune for us I and mean, this was one of those songs that mike was like we've always had this like discussion i love mike kennedy but we've had the, we had this debate uh, you know he was like Are we, really we're going to do tlc's waterfalls i'm like you don't understand mike i i have a vision for us doing this song <laughs> Is, we need to do this song. <laughs> you believed it into existence. <laughs> that's right. That's right. When you first heard it back then, or I guess let me re-ask that question. When did you start actually listening to what it was saying? Because I don't know if I've really ever listened to what oh, that song's yeah. saying. It was yeah. huge when it came out. I yeah. heard it. But yeah. I just sat there and listened to it. And it's a pretty interesting song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, the second the second verse I remember pretty vividly because I'm, I remember watching the video. I think the video was probably sometime in 95 when it came out. And I was in high school. And I don't know if I'm going to have my, my kids necessarily listen to this, this interview that we're doing, Mike. But um, I remember that this, this video taught me the importance of safe sex. You know, it's like one of, those, one of those things like, OK, yeah, I'm not going to make a mistake the way that, you know, where Little Precious has a natural obsession. I will not be <laughs> Little Precious in that, in that second part of the verse. And I remember that part of the video, too, because I remember it showing a guy, he's, you know, he's, he's having sex with many different partners. Um, and I remember him going into look at the mirror and then he's noticing that, you know, he has a, he has some sort of disease. Right. Um, and, and that was sort of my beginnings and understandings of HIV and AIDS even at that time. So I remember that part of the song being very at that time in my life being like, whoa, like this is. Yeah, we need to take this more seriously, you know, than, than we are. So that part, the first part of the song, I didn't understand till later. Later. I mean, even I mean, I, I kind of got what the video was saying, but I didn't really think about it all that much until much later. Layers. It's yeah, got layers. for sure. For sure. How old are your kids? Um, so my oldest is let's see if I get all their ages right, because they're all going to be changing ages soon. So I have 19, 17 and soon to be 16. But my son is the youngest. He's 15, going to be 16. Have any of them brought home music that you were like, hmm, oh, yeah. that's not James <laughs> Brown or <laughs> – Oh, yes. When I try to institute my father's rules, that never happens. You know? uh, yeah, there was definitely – so my oldest, Isabella, she is much like her mom uh, and she's, she's a country girl. So she loves her country music and they'll both jam out to the country, country music and – uh, and my other daughter, Juliana, she's, you know, and, and that part, see, I can't connect with her on that, you know, although now what's cool about Bella now is she's starting to appreciate some of the older jams, right? So she can appreciate TLC now, or I think I played for her, uh, or I played at one of our performances, she heard me play like Drops of Jupiter or something like that. And she's like, yeah, it's a cool song. I'm like, oh, you know that song? Because it's for, you know, it's older now. You know? I don't think of it as an old song, but, you know, for that generation it is. So she and I don't always connect on music. Uh, my daughter, Juliana, she likes a lot of the kind of uh, powerful pop singers, the Ariana Grandes, um, you know, and she likes everything from from her to Doja Cat and all that kind of stuff, which I actually can dig that kind of stuff. Uh, my son, Dominic, I, you know, his musical taste is yet to be really expressed. <laughs> Okay. He he hasn't expressed it all that much. What does he do? Play video games? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure if I pulled up some video game themes, which I know is like a big thing too. I mean, you know, the the video game music is huge now. Um, Speaking of themes, do you have a TV theme song committed to memory that you would uh, (laughs) perform with us? Oh, gosh. Okay. So so how are you going to do this? You're going to like look it up and pull it up? Jared's going to pull it up on YouTube. So my probably the best memories I have as a little kid uh, were when my brother Matt, the one who's not a musician, he would come visit. 
and he would come. He was in the Air Force, and he would come visit, uh, and uh, he loved Saturday morning cartoons, and I still have great memories of the Saturday morning cartoons. And he introduced me to the world of The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm. So I would say I think it's one of the best theme songs for any TV show, and that would be the Spider-Man theme song. From uh, what era would this have been? Because that, that's say probably going to be somewhat hard to Google. Oh, I think if you just look up Spider-Man, you know, it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you know yeah. right? I think it's the 60s cartoon. I feel like, because I know they did many different iterations of it, like there was a show in the 90s right, and all right. that. And even in the 80s, where they brought it back. But I want to say it, the song was from the 60s. Okay. Uh, like 67, something like that. Is that doing it for you, Jared? <laughs> I'll have to see if I remember all of it. <laughs> There's a lot to it. Well, he's looking that up. Do you know the band Moxie Fruvis? Mm-mm. You wouldn't have. There's no reason to. <laughs> They're a Canadian band I, I came across in the early 90s that changed my direction in my musical tastes. They do a cover mm-hmm. of it. I'll oh, send you a link. Oh, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't it. call it a cover because they kind of take some liberties with it. Yeah. But you, you would re- yeah. it'll re- – they're like um, – like a lot of four part harmonies and stuff, okay. but also like they that's play cool. all the you know they play all the rock instruments too. Oh, so cool. it's a weird combination. That's but yeah, cool. you'll like their Spider Man song. I uh, I listened to the Ramones do it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I like the Ramones version of the Spider Man song, <laughs> and of course it's in the movies. I mean, Sam Raimi brought it in. Is it the one? Um, it's kind of like techno. No, it's not that. No, no I know what you're saying. So it's not the, the 90s one. No, no, you no. said 60s probably. I think it's like the 60s. Oh, 60s. Original, I'm sorry. I misheard. Yeah, it's the original theme song. I'm pretty sure it's Turn that nine upside down. <laughs> I remember when that version came out because I was so excited about the 90s one and they didn't have the theme song. <clears throat> I was so disappointed they, they took away the theme song. <laughs> it's going to be hard for me because I know the Moxie Fruits version so well that I'm not sure exactly where it diverges. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long time since I listened to this song, although Sam Walsh gave me uh, a whole uh, copy of the original run of Spider-Man. And, uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can, spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, there goes the Spider-Man. Yeah, the Moxie Fruit Source is screwing me up. He's strong, listen bud, he's got radioactive blood, can he swing? From a thread, take a look overhead. Hey there, here comes the Spider Man. And goes to the middle section. In the chill of the night, at the scene of a crime, the scene of light, he arrives just in time. <laughs> Spider Man, Spider Man, friendly neighborhood Spider Man. Wealth and fame, he ignores. Action is his reward. Him, life is a great big bang up. Whenever there's a hang-up, the real Spider-Man. Well done, Miles. Well done. <laughs> Most of it. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Um, okay. Nickname. Got a nickname? Uh, yeah, Milesy. Milesy. <laughs> Miles. I only very few people call that me that. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Oh no, I don't like it. I don't like it's it. It's clunky. No, it is. It is. Do you do karaoke? I've done it once. What did you sing? <laughs> uh, what did I sing? Oh, I think we did the uh, – I did it with my good friend Jamie Wilson, uh, who is also an FGCU alum. And we were on a cruise. And I want to say, say we, we both sang the Summer Lovin' from Greece, you know, of course, like standard. She dragged me up there. I do not typically do karaoke. <laughs> if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter on? Uh, I don't know. Probably something cheesy like – uh, like something from the the Rocky soundtrack or something. I have the tiger. I don't know <laughs> one of those songs. <laughs> if you were a cocktail or drink of some kind, what would it be? If it was a distilled Miles Mancini, it it has to be something with rum. I'm a big rum aficionado. I I, I love my rum. So maybe something like a Mancini Mai Tai or something like that. <laughs> okay. If you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? I've listened to, hmm, probably, oh gosh, probably one of the tunes that my dad has played um, in pretty much every performance that I I can remember as a kid, um, and that would be uh, Chikoria's Spain. Probably listen to that song. Song you wish you could hear again for the first time. 
I would say walk this way. Walk this way. <laughs> <laughs> Not that one, but I would I would say definitely anything from from the Beatles, anything from from that Abbey Road. I remember that being such a magical experience discovering that for the first time. So if I could re-listen to any Beatles song for the first time, I think that would be cool. What would you say is the most overplayed song in the world? <laughs> overplayed song? Oh, uh probably something, you know, I, I, I don't want to disparage this group, but, you know, I, lo- I love Queen <laughs> and I love Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't get me wrong. But anytime if you hear like the we are the champions or we will rock you, it's just it's just done. I don't need to hear that in any, any other sporting event ever again. <laughs> Is there any kind of music or a particular song that you will avoid? And don't say country. Besides country. That's right. That's all. And I don't avoid that because I Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, any kind of uh, like genre or does it? Well, it, the, the real goal of this question is, is there a song that you don't want to listen to because it will remind you of something you don't want to think about? Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think if there's anything like that that I just don't want to listen to. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> this is terrible. I don't – I have a visceral reaction to anything Celine Dion. <laughs> so I don't – I mean I know everybody has their own taste but – and, and there is a reason, a particular reason for one of her songs that I don't want to – don't particularly – I don't have good mem- – don't, don't have good associations with the song My Heart Will Go On for a number of reasons. My dad taught that song to like every single one of his piano students. So I'd hear it incessantly the year that that movie came out. So I, that is a song that I just – I avoid at all costs. That's a great answer to that question. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every human simultaneously right now, which would you choose? While my guitar gently weeps. Any albums that you have to listen to all the way through? Or, you know, you really want to because the completeness that it brings to you. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's oh, – there's, there's, there's a few. But I would say uh, I always listen to uh, the Blues Traveler, uh, Blues Traveler album 4. I listen to that all the way through. I think it's just there are so many cool songs on that. So um, that would be a more – like a newer answer, but I, I would also say the like the White Album. That's another one that definitely I listen to all the tunes on the White Album. Best album of all time? Ooh, gosh, that's a really hard question. That's you got to throw some great albums off the island to answer uh, that question. Yeah, I mean, I can, how can I just pick? You one? can just say the one that you think today. Just think of it that way. Okay, that way, you know, that's that way one. tomorrow you might answer different. <laughs> the one that I think today. One that I think today, uh, you know, it's so hard. But I there's an album that I love, I, and I don't think. Uh, uh, this is a really this is. And how can how can we ask that question when there's so many like best of? You have all of the greatest hit albums. You know, Those don't count. <laughs> um, As originally released. So just just today, a great album. I don't I don't want to say it's the best album, but I would say Billy Joel's The Stranger. That's I just I love that album. What would your 14 year old self? Who, if I'm doing the math right, was probably living in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, think of you know who you are today. I think my 14-year-old self would be like, dude, you totally sold out. <laughs> you, you were supposed to be living a different, a different life right now. I think he would think that it's cool the things I'm doing but not – was not the plan. What was the plan at 14? Well, We somehow glossed past that. <laughs> the plan at a certain point was I didn't think I was ever going to really come back to the States and I liked – meeting people from all different parts of the world. And at that time in the DR, I met so many people from from Korea, from Italy, from Iraq, from all over different parts of the globe that were all there for different reasons. And my Dominican friends as well. Um, I just never thought I was going to really live back in the States. And I finally got used to living abroad. I felt like that was more home than being home. And then we came back. <laughs> so I think my 14-year-old self would be like, hmm. And I even freshman – I think it was freshman year. I took a class with Maria Rocca and she saved – You know, Maria, of course, has like the vault of things that she has never like given back. And she showed me one day. She's like, hey, you wrote this in like your freshman year of your plan of what you were going to do. And I also have Melissa's, you know, your wife. I have, I have hers too. You want to read both? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let me check that out. And, you know, mine was the stuff I thought at 14. Like I'm going to live 
in the Caribbean somewhere. I'm going to be a working musician. Just I'll live on the beach if I have to, whatever. I'm going to live this sort of bohemian lifestyle or whatever. And then I read my wife's and it was like, I'm going to live in Naples. I will have three children. I will be married. I'm, a, and I'm like, sounds like she won. I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> whose whose vision are we li- living here? <laughs> you know, so, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Maria actually brought, gave me something like within Did the she? last couple of years. That was a relic from my past yep, here. She um, can do that. Okay, well, it is time for you to recommend your three people to uh, you know share this with that we can try to pursue to get on. Sure. Um, I feel very torn about this because I feel like there are people that I would certainly recommend outside of my family, but I really – I'm going to make it very personal and say – and since my family members are all here in Southwest Florida and working musicians still, um, I would recommend my dad, George Mancini. Um, I would recommend my sister, Michelle Kazanovsky, and I would recommend my brother – George Mancini. They're all down here in Florida. Maybe we can do a threefer with them. That would be cool. You know, where we've done some twofers. Yeah. Maybe we could figure out a way. That would be really cool. getting them all three is going to be hard, but getting yeah. them all three at once is going to be easy sure. if we sure. can work it out. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you've done it. Any final thoughts? The, the curse of the Miles Mancini. It can be laid to rest. <laughs> <laughs> it can officially be laid to rest. No, this was awesome. I was, I was, uh, I was excited to do this. I know so many of my friends um, have been on the show before, and uh, I was excited to come in, and I've been excited listening to all the work that you guys have been doing. You guys do an awesome job, so thanks for having me in. And thanks for doing it. And it's nice to talk to you longer than just you know thirty seconds, know, which right? over the last twenty five years, it's mostly just been that. <laughs> right, so right. it's good to see. Agreed. You. Good to see you too. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is our online content producer and host. Chris Duffus is our executive producer. And our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to my time at the nearly brand new Florida Gulf Coast University. I've been listening to the Canadian band Moxie Fruvis all through the 90s and then finally got a chance to see them play live in 2000 when I took a trip to New York City to visit my old friend Bill Bowen. We saw them in Manhattan on the first night and then drove up to Northampton, Massachusetts the next night. They were both magical shows and that was a magical trip for me that in many ways redirected the course of my life. The one song I can clearly remember hearing them play during those shows was this one. It's called Fly off their 1995 album Wood. It sticks with me because I'd heard so many live recordings of their shows by then that I could just feel it coming somehow as they tuned up and got ready to play the next song. It was a magical moment that sticks with me to this very day. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Um, do you still play the harmonica? Oh yeah, I play the harmonica. <laughs> <laughs>